This is the game on News Radio KMAN. You know what? There's been a lot of shadiness going on in the last 24 hours, but maybe none bigger than last night <laughs> when we were supposed to get the Powerball numbers yeah. and we had to wait like hours to get them because because there's like some technical difficulties with the machine that's supposed to you know spit out the white balls. I didn't like that either. I thought this is really tricky, tricky, tricky. And then the winner is that a Pasadena? They don't need that billion dollars. Two, two billion dollars. Come on. I'm going to live on the interest. <sighs> Those people, am the I right? folks. Come on, man. Come on. Two billion dollars. But, you know, you don't get, unless you do the annuities. If you do the, if you let them pay you out, you'll get the two bill. But if you want the quick cash, you're going to get about a billion dollars. If I won the money, I would not ask to be anonymous. Mm-hmm. I'd say, like, uh, advertise my name everywhere. Whoa! And then I'm gonna tell everybody to suck it, and I'm gonna disappear. See ya! And turn heel on everybody, <laughs> like fall off the grid, or, or yeah. just like call me into the, some call other me state. the one billion dollar man, Mitch Ted. Fortner. <laughs> it's the one billion dollar man, Mitch Fortner. There he is, there causing he is. problems. What Quick, would you go raid his cabin. IRS <laughs> would be my best friend, and. You'd be like working with them to like get other people, you know. <laughs> You'd be like, yeah, I made it easier for them to uh, uh, <laughs> look into your stuff, folks. W- what would you buy? First thing you would buy. You know what? I somebody asked me that earlier, and I was like, you know what? Like, it's all the money in the world. I could just buy everything. But what would I buy first? I don't know what I would buy first. Houses. I know exactly. Real estate in every state. After I would do my thing, and then I would like hook up my family. The first, like, rich guy thing, I would most definitely bring a minor league or independent baseball team to Manhattan. That'd be – I, I want to own one. <laughs> and I would do it just like they do um, the Bananas, I think is what they're called, down in Georgia, where they have, like, their nuts. They have people, like, mic'd up while they're playing, and they have, like, the guy <laughs> – Lit his bat on fire, and then he like hit a ba- like. I would do that stuff all the time. I would start. I've said this before on the show. If I did win a bunch of money, I would start a music festival in Manhattan. Yeah, don't have country stampede, but it wouldn't be country music. It would be like I'd get Hall Notes. I would <laughs> ask Led Zeppelin to get back together. Uh, let's see what Kenny Loggins is up to. Oh, Loggins. Don't you think I'd though, ask Ralph Macchio to be the MC? Come on out, Ralph. Oh, don't you think though? Led Zeppelin has had a rich guy just go. What do you want? What's it going to take? Oh, got, absolutely. The money. And it's like, been hap- oh. It's happened dozens of times. Crazy, dude. The, the Savannah Bananas. If you have looked them up, like you, the waiting list for tickets is two years long. Like that's how crazy their games are. That's what I would do, and I would be like, I'd try to help people, like the the team injunction. I'd want to help them out. I would try to get a team out in like Salina, try to get a team in wherever, Topeka, start it up and get like a little competitive league going too. That'd be rad. By the way, the name of my music festival would be Mitchapalooza. Mitchapalooza. <laughs> It'd most likely just be a one day thing. Yeah. Like have the main stage at the bill, but also have some side stages. You know, maybe I wouldn't be able to do it at the bill, but I would want a couple of side stages as well. Mitch Stock. 
Mitch Stock. I'm going to stick with Mitch Palooza. You're going to have to pay the old school people. You're going to have to pay those guys. That's okay. You I have the, the money. money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. All right, welcome to the game. Mitch Fortner with David G. Big Steve is on the board. No, no Troy Coverdale, he's busy tonight. He has decided to skip the show so he could work the election coverage. Which I mean, starts- I'm doing the same thing, so I don't know why he can't be here. Oh, you know? I'll throw the shade. I will throw the shade all just day long. Just got called out. I drove back. Hold on. I was in Wichita overnight, so I just drove back today. And I came in for the game, and I'm here for election coverage. Let's go. Well, that just solved it. Big Steve works harder than Troy. Wow. We just cleared up that mystery. I need an air horn button, you know, just... (laughs) Well, coming up in the second hour, we're going to hear from Chris Kleiman, who talked about, again, it came up again, the red shirt uh, with Will Howard. A couple of other things as well we'll get to. Coach Tank gets his first victory last night at Bramlage Coliseum. Yes. But joining us... To kick off the show here in hour number one, it's Kellis Robinette from the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle. Good to go, Big Steve. Kellis, uh, what band should I book for my Mitchapalooza festival? Uh, how about Creed? <laughs> Bring them back. Oh, that'd be rad. I could I could at least get Scott Stapp. If I was so, – because, I don't know, DG, if you remember this, but I almost got Scott Stapp to come on the show I do, for yeah. John's birthday. Yeah. And they canceled – the. he had to cancel the day before. I think he just made up an excuse, but, like, for two weeks I had it booked. If I can get that close for the interview, I can yeah. throw out a couple of shillings to get if Scott some, Stapp on stage. You got some cash. Go, dude, you could – all you want, baby. Two hours of it. That's what we want. The whole catalog. Kellis, let's talk. Uh, let's talk hoops here. Who's your favorite so far? Uh, well, I like uh, quite a few players. I don't know if I could choose just the one, um, but I'd probably say mm, let's go. Let's go, Naquan Tomlin. I think he's. I, I like him because he's an unfinished product, but he still looks pretty darn good out there. Every time I see him, I think somehow he's grown taller. By the end of the season, he's going to be like eight foot five. It's incredible, um, but he's he's long. He's athletic. He can do a lot of things on defense. He can dunk. He can get in the lane and do some things. Crash the boards. Can't really shoot so good. Probably needs to lay off that. But otherwise, I really like what I've seen from him. Um, it's uh, yeah, he's he's who I go with. Like. Yeah, the athleticism is something that's really stood out to me, and it's kind of across the board. Does that also stand out to you if you compare it to kind of last year? I know it's a completely different team, but just the amount of athleticism on the team from the one to the fives. Yeah. Um, size and athleticism and depth would be the three things that uh, stick out to me. You can already tell this, uh, and I think you maybe brought this up, but uh, you can tell Kansas State's already kind of a, a baby Baylor. They don't have quite as much seasoning. The, the players aren't quite as well developed as, they were during the, the greatest years of the Scott Drew, Jerome Tang days of Baylor, but they already fit that mold. Um, they get out and they run and they pursue and they play defense and they crash the board. That to me is the biggest change from last season. Maybe not quite as much skill in some places, but more energy, definitely more athleticism, and uh, probably the biggest thing is just more length. They can they can get out and just disrupt defenses in a lot of ways that we haven't seen in the past. Oh, I love the team defense last uh, last night. Beating uh, UTRGV and Coach Tang's official opener by the final score of 93-59. to Were you a little disappointed that we didn't get to see Jarrell Colbert out there? He's going to redshirt. 
I was, um, and I, I, hey, I get why they did it. Uh, he's, he didn't really get a great developmental year last year at LSU. He's got a high ceiling. He's maybe not the most polished player yet. So if he's committed to the long-term plan and will spend this year getting bigger, stronger, faster, and learning how to be a big and your own thing system, yeah, in, in three years I could see him being an all-conference type of player. So I get why they'd want to redshirt him, but at the same time, I, like everyone else in attendance, saw what he did against uh, the, the Washburn scrubs at the end of that game. And I know it was these were Division two players and weren't even necessarily starters in their team, but my goodness, uh, five blocks, five points, one rebound in eight minutes. That uh, just looked, uh, man, he, he looked ready to play even against stronger competition. I think he could have helped him this season. Uh, so I, I was a little surprised there. I would have liked to see him play, but I get it. Speaking with Carlos Robinette from the Kansas City Star and Wichita Eagle, I know I only got you for a, a few minutes here, so I want to jump over to K-State football. Um, so, Coach Klein, and it was brought up again about the clock management at the end of the game. There are a couple of instances, right? The last full drive where they scored the field goal and then the, uh, you know, not, not taking the timeout before the fumble by Adrian Martinez. So he mentioned, and it kind of backed it up, that he still felt good about the idea of not taking the timeout, just running the play on first down. I disagree with that. I think there should have been a timeout taken. You want to break the tie and give us your thought on that? Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, most times I'm going to side with uh, Coach Kleiman over Mitch Fortner on football topics. But in this one, I'm with Don't you. I got in both the last few drives. There were situations where the team just looked disorganized. The clock was running. It would have behooved them uh, to use both timeouts. Like uh, Bill Snyder once famously, famously said, they gave you the timeouts to use them. They're no good to you if you get to the locker room and you still got two two up there. So I would definitely have used one um, just to preserve clock, to get everybody on the same page. And, I mean, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. If Adrian doesn't fumble there and they get another – and they call the timeout right after like he was hoping to, you know, maybe they win anyway. I'm certainly not saying that's why they lost, but I, I would have called the timeout. One, one thing I've always kind of wondered about with, with Chris is uh, how much practice has he had in game management over the years because when he was at North Dakota State, he wasn't involved in many close games. Certainly was very rarely coming from behind and trying to win the last minute because he had by far the best team. They were beating everybody by a lot of points. There it was, you know, his philosophy was let's get up big in the first half, hit on the ball, don't make any mistakes get out of here and win oftentimes at Kansas State you can't do that you got to play from behind and, and manage the clock and do some things like that something he's never really had a ton of experience at and I wonder if why sometimes in these games we're left having these conversations we're speaking with Kellis Robinette here on the game so you uh on Twitter earlier today kind of put out there the scenarios for all the contenders right now in the conference as we know TCU is in first place and they're undefeated. They have a two-game lead on K-State, Texas, and Baylor. And it, when you're three games out of the regular season ending, it's a, a lot of the same, especially with the three-way tie. You know, you win out, you could go to the championship game. However, with K-State's loss to Texas, they have lost the privilege to control their own destiny. They now need a little bit of help. And hopefully, you know, you know you're no longer rooting against TCU. You want TCU to win against Texas. But I'm sure when you were doing all the research to figure out, all right, what team needs what to happen for them to get to Arlington, you maybe picked out one or two that you thought had the best shot 
at getting to Arlington. So this is where I put you on the spot, Kellis. Of uh, so let's just assume that TCU gets there. Who do you think has the best road right now to make it to Arlington and take on the Horn Frogs in December? I think Texas, um, and I say that mostly because I, I just really like the way they're playing. Um, their three losses are a little bit deceiving. They lose the one to Alabama. They have a big lead against Texas Tech and just cough it up late. They have a big lead against Oklahoma State in the road and just cough it up late. They're the best first-half team in the conference. If they could find a way to play at all in the second half, just a little bit better, they could very easily be undefeated. Um, their advanced metrics are great. they got the best offense in the conference, second or third best defense. It's honestly a surprise they're not in first place based on, um, you know, like I said, their first, their, uh, their first halves. And you've got Bajon Robinson to run behind. That makes things pretty easy. So I think they'll do it. Um, I mean, obviously, they'll have to beat TCU on Saturday for that to happen. If they don't win that game, then all of a sudden you're looking at, uh, you know, K-State Baylor or some kind of wild tie uh, that you can see at the end there. Um, but that, that's who I would lean at at this point. Uh, personally, though, I would like to see some chaos and have uh, have the second team that joins TCU in, in Arlington be um, whoever wins a tiebreaker with like four teams at six and three. That would be uh, quite entertaining. I want to disagree with you. I want my cats to get there, but I think you. I mean, you make a great argument. Texas can hold on to leads in the second half. They're going to make it to Arlington. And that game next uh, or this Saturday, rather in Austin with TCU, Power K game day is going to or uh, college game day rather is going to be there. Texas and TCU, that is a big one. We need the horn front. It's going to steal a lot of ratings for sure from the K State Baylor game. We're speaking with Kellis Robinette. So to finish up here, Kellis. All right. So on Twitter, you're already verified. You got the check mark, and now this Elon Musk fellow comes in and says. All right. It doesn't matter who you are. If you pay eight bucks a month, you can you get the check mark. So since you were already there, are you grandfathered in, or do you have to pay the eight bucks? How does that work? Ooh, uh, well, that's been a big topic of discussion in sports journalism uh, in the sports journalism world lately. Is what do we do about this here? Um, we uh, we we big J's like having the blue check mark there. People can't uh, come on and you know pretend to be you on Twitter and mm-hmm. put out a fake scoop. Um, you know it's, it's, it's nice in that way, um, but I would say probably not worth eight dollars a month. Comes out to about a hundred dollars a year. I know I ain't paying for <laughs> paying for that, so um, I will gladly go back to just being a uh, non blue check mark person on Twitter if it happens that way. Um, but that's just my my take on it. I'm too cheap. To pay eight dollars a month for a check mark, even though I exactly. think it, it's very important. I, I, to me, it's very important. Yes, to have that verification the way it was previously to tell the difference between the real person and the parody, so you don't have a bunch of fake news getting by. Uh, but uh, I, I can't pay eight bucks a month. I'm I'm too cheap to pay for Netflix. Wow. Well, I do pay for Netflix. I I, I pay for Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu Plus, ESPN Plus. <laughs> I've got that bundle. Um, but beyond that, yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh, I bomb, uh, passwords off my parents for things, my, my, uh, my in-laws for things. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, sharing going on in that department. So I, I'm there with you. If there was some kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, plan where you could, uh, pay, I don't know, one buck a month, maybe, but geez, yeah, $8. That's a lot for something I don't think you're getting a lot of value on. In return. No, I won't pay it. I refuse. I I you know I'm like with you guys, but then the other day 
I saw Paramount Plus, the preview for Tulsa King with Sly Stallone. Now I got to get that too. I got to get that too. If there was one streaming service, Kellis, that you pay for that you said that's the bottom one, that's going, that's getting chopped. If they were like, you have to pay the eight dollars a month, you have to get verified. What's the streaming service? The last one where you're gonna, you're gonna, cl- you would clip it. I would say no, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> the, you would just like they you'd have to, to type out the real, real, for real, serious, real Kellis Robinette. I mean, uh, of all the streaming services, oh boy, that's a tough one. Um, I do have Paramount Plus. I could probably live without that. I, ha- I do enjoy it, so I could probably live without that. So I'd say that one. Um, it'd be tough call if one I actually had to keep. It'd be tough call between Netflix and Disney Plus because I-, I probably like Netflix better, but my kids um, are constantly on Disney Plus. Oh. So, you know, well, which, <laughs> which, which one do I need? Um, to buy me some peace and quiet. Maybe Disney Plus. Maybe I'd part with Netflix first. Well, Kellis, at least you're aware of all the streaming services you have and you know what you're paying for. Not to mean, uh, not to mention any names here, but I did discover a certain somebody was paying for Showtime for months and did not know that they had it. Oh. Uh, so got that taken care of, lickety split, and save a couple of bucks a month. But, uh, Kellis, I'll let you go. Really appreciate your time and... Uh, I guess we'll see you next week since you'll be on the road for the game again in Waco. That's right. Um, remember, if anybody out there has to sign up to, to watch some basketball games this season and signs up for Flow Hoop oh, yeah. or whatever silly thing uh, has actual networks, remember to cancel that subscription after the free trial's up because you don't want to be paying for multiple months of those things. Because believe me, it's not worth Yes, you know, it's completely not necessary to have after that uh, run for uh, the Cats in the Cayman Islands. Uh, It's at Kellis Robinette, right? Correct. All right, that's the handle you need, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be fooled by all the parodies out there. (laughs) Kellis will block you. Kellis, thanks for your time, man. All right. Anytime, guys. Kellis Robinette from the Kansas City Star and Wichita Legal. All right, when we come back, wasn't able to do one last week. We had Mason Voth in studio. Uh, I'm going to bring it back this week. My top 10 list for the week is coming up next. Man, Big Steve getting into the Travion beds. That one's mine. What? Doesn't sound like yours. Uh, That one's been in there for like a hot minute. That's MJ. I wouldn't have ever expected you to have anything I would consider groovy. This one again. This one's been in my library for a hot minute, and oh. I've played it before Travion was even here. So I think you might want to go to a doctor, Mitch. I, Your I memory s- seems to be slipping, buddy. Well, my, my well, he's not joking. My memory's been slipping for okay, a long mine's time. Mine's terrible. My, I can't my sh- say anything. My short-term memory is garbage. I shouldn't be hosting the show. Oh my I, short- I, God! I barely remember what happened last night. Hold on, my memory's so bad that he'll text me for like the best of the games on Friday, and I'll still go back and double check with him. Like, hey, I just want to make sure that I'm remembering correctly. It's these segments, right? You know, do you mine's do the, horrible. Do you do the quadruple? Uh, Alarm check at night before you go to sleep? Yes. I check my alarm. And I set like six of them uh-huh. for the morning Well, so I can wake up. Yeah, when I used to get up at five, yeah, I would set two alarms, mm-hmm. one actual alarm clock by my bed and also set one on my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, the old phone actually became more reliable than the actual alarm clock. Funny how technology changes. 
I'd have to bang the crap out of that thing to shut <laughs> off. <laughs> and with the phone, I could just shut it off with a poke of the button. Not anymore. Or you can just roll over and squeeze the volume button and it'll I, snooze it. I, I set an alarm maybe once a week now, and it's fantastic. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, morning guy, but uh, yes. getting to sleep oh, in every God. morning. But I also work a lot of late nights, especially during football season. Uh, jokes uh, about not remembering what took place last night. I think I'm going to remember a lot of what took place last night for a long time to come. To me, it was pretty memorable. I, I don't remember being there for Bruce Weber's first game. Um, I wasn't I wasn't covering the team yet in any capacity. I could have gone as a fan. I don't think I did. Um, of course, now these days I am in a official capacity with being the public address announcer and also double dip as the media as I'll go to the press conference afterwards. My top ten list this week is just the observations from Tang's first official game. I thought there was a lot to take in. Some differences. Uh, you know the the crowd, of course. The, the actual game, there was a lot to take in. So let's get this started as I get David Letterman queued up here. Number 10. Number 10 was during the game, I was waiting for Jarrell Colbert to come in. And then he didn't. Neither did Anthony Thomas, who's a guard, and neither did Taj Manning. And Coach Tang confirmed in postgame that those guys are going to be redshirted. The only one that did surprise me was Jarrell Colbert. Um, and it's maybe maybe some things we just don't know behind the scenes of the way he practices or maybe just a guy that shows up during the games. Because in, in, uh, in that exhibition, I mean, he played eight minutes and he had five points and five block shots. I mean, he was just incredible off the bench. And that was by design for him to come in late. Coach Ting wanted to see just certain rotations, and he wasn't really involved in those rotations he wanted to see. Uh, talking about Jarrell Colbert. So they are redshirting. And we'll get to more on the roster here in just a moment. Number nine. Number nine of my observations from the first game. Okay, so I feel like the technical fouls with the flopping is a bit confusing for most. I don't know if Ben Boyle and and Stan Weber talked about it on the TV broadcast or if Wyatt and Matt talked about it on the radio broadcast. I'm sure they did in some capacity. But even last night, even though we had it in in the exhibition game, I was still a little bit confused. So here's the rule. So... If a player is called for flopping, it is a Class B technical foul. If they get three of those, they're done. The thing is, though, a Class B technical does not go down as a personal foul or a team foul. That's where I was a little bit confused at first, uh, because when we had one during the Washburn game, I I announced it as 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 a foul, and it's a team foul. That wasn't the case. It happened last night uh, with Abayami Giola, who flopped in the paint, and uh, they got a free throw out of it, did UTRGV, and if they if he would have got two more, he's done. I guess he got to do something about it. Well, they're just trying to cut down on the flopping. Right. Um, let's see here. Number eight. Number eight was the highlight reel plays. I put it at number eight because... I don't want to make a huge deal out of it right now. And the reason is because I can remember a Bruce Weber game that started the season. I can't remember. I think it was against Kansas City. And there were like a lot of highlight reel type of plays. Um, you know, maybe that had to do something with the opponent. Now, I'm not trying to take away with all the awesome plays they had against the Vaqueros, but I, I'm not expecting it game after game after game of where we're going to see alley-oops all over the place, behind-the-back passes for dunks. 
But it was extremely fun, again, like first half, as we've already seen for a couple of games. They come out with a lot of energy in the first half, and maybe because they just blow it open early uh, and the crowd isn't making as much noise as they would in the first half, they just don't have the same kind of energy, which I know Jerome Tang wants to try to dig that energy out of the team for a full 40 minutes. But, man, I think my favorite dunk and my favorite play was the behind-the-back from Marquise Noel and finds Naquan Tomlin for the flush. That <laughs> yeah, was sick. That's awesome. But we had a couple of alley-oops. Tyke Green, the drive, Ooh. and the one-handed jam was also sick as well. That one is like already like one of the dunks of the year. That was amazing. But let me tell you how the team having that much fun and being that fun to watch, talk about bringing the doom yeah. and bringing the people to Bramwich, Oof. if you could ke- get some of that once in a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. that'll keep the people coming along with, of course, the victories. Number seven. Number seven on my list of the observation from Coach Tang's first official game, first official win. Tang has no time for the technical fouls. Naquan Tomlin picked one up with about six minutes to go in the game, and he tried to go over to Coach Tang as he was taken out of the game and try to, I guess, plead his case or say, like, Coach, I'm sorry, but – and then would go on to say what happened. And I'm not even sure exactly what happened. I'm sure just Naquan said something he shouldn't have said to an opponent or a referee. I don't know. But Coach Tang just basically gave him, man, get out of here. Go to the bench. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> I did love that a lot, That's actually. awesome. Uh, disciplinary action, I don't know what it is, but uh, I'm sure it'll be taken care of at practice. Number six. Number six is the athleticism at the five. David Gasson got the start. Abayami Gilo started against Washburn. David Gasson from the Netherlands, he got the start last night. And I got to say, I think that's one of the biggest differences. And, of course, we talked about it with Kellis. The athleticism across the board is greater than K-State's team the last, geez, I mean, the last three years. But the athleticism at the five where... Now, Gasson needs to definitely work on finishing at the hoop. A lot of the guys need to work on finishing at the hoop. But just going to get rebounds, I thought, was a big improvement. The defense was a big improvement. Moving their feet, making plays that are not in the paint was a difference as well. Love it, dude. I love the difference. I really do. A night and day to me, just being a casual fan, you can see – this team is so much di- built differently, plays differently than the last stuff we've, we're used to. Yeah, Gasson had six rebounds in the game, and Abayami had five. So 11 rebounds combined for the two bigs. All right, where are we at here? We're halfway through, right? Number five. Number five on my top ten list of observations from last night's Coach Tang victory, his first. This is a big hope. But I think we got a really nice clue that it could be this way for this season. And that's just the team, and I'm talking depth here, being deeper. I mean, last year we begged for K-State to be six or seven deep. It felt like you were only going to get production out of the starting five. Yes. And maybe somebody off the bench could get you some good minutes and knock down a couple of shots. I mean, last night, I mean, K-State left some points out there. They could have scored in the hundreds easily. And yeah. last week we were talking about how they could easily score in the 90s. They could easily score in the hundreds last night. 
but you had six players in double figures. That's the first time that has happened in an opener since the mid-2000s. And you also had, I mean, Tyke Green off the bench, who played 22 minutes, and he had nine points, three assists, two rebounds, and a steal. You know, he was a point away from double figures. I mean, I think we saw a lot last night to tell you that there are some ballers and there is some depth at every position. And guys can play multiple spots on the floor. Number four. Number four, and I think this is what I loved the most, was the defense. And that is an emphasis. I mean, you know, Coach Tang, so many years at Baylor, that was clearly an emphasis there. And it's going to be here as well, where it's defense first. Mm. And K-State was able to turn defense into offense. They scored 31 points last night off of the Vaqueros' 26 turnovers. Not every one of those turnovers were forced, but quite a few of them were. And K-State last night had nine steals. Um the defense is also something I, I I don't know if anybody played bad defense last night. I didn't consider anybody last night a bad defender. The whistles were really finicky. I I, I think we were kind of all over the place with the whistles. Yeah, a lot of touchy stuff, and I think that's just what they have to call. Um, but when it was clean defense, it was very good defense, especially in the first half. And again, I think we saw the same thing in the second half, where it was just a more average game. All the energy was in the first half, but they still would bring it in the second half. All right, top ten list of my observations from last night. We go to number number three. Coach Tang likes to be fashionably late for tip-off. Now, he's not like credibly late where he's walking out of the locker room as we're about to announce the starting lineups. But from my observations in previous years, and not just with Coach Weber, but basically every coach that would visit Bramlage Coliseum, they walk out with their team. I asked Coach Tang about it after the Washburn game. I was like, hey, Coach, I noticed the team comes out. Here comes the other coaches. And I noticed Marco Bourne. He's standing by the tunnel waiting for you to come out. I was like, did you just take a moment for yourself, say a prayer, or just kind of reflect and like, hey, I made it this far? He goes like, and he made me look so stupid. He was like, Nah, man, I just had to use the bathroom. (laughs) I was like, well, there we go. I thought it was a dynamite question, but he totally just shoved it back (laughs) in my face. Like, nah, man, I just don't go to the bathroom. But I do kind of like the late arrival. It's cool. Like, kind of making the crowd wait for you. Because everybody wants to see him come out. And when he came out, Bramlage Coliseum gave him a standing ovation, a round of applause. Mm -hmm. The champ takes his time to come out. Okay, that's how it works. And the bit we're there to see him. We're gonna wait a little bit. We're gonna prep that crowd. Number two. Number two is Marquise Noel is the leader of this team. He is convincingly the leader of this team, and I love the improvement he made in the offseason. He told me during media day. I know he told like the Three Mile podcast. He was telling everybody that where he went to work during the offseason the most was his three-point shooting. Mm. And last night, Marquise Noel was three for three. And he, I think he has a little bit of quicker release. And if you watch his left-wing three in the first half, and I love this move, Steph Curry, somebody put it on Twitter and mentioned the Steph Curry move, where you take the shot and you start running back to the other end of the gym while the ball's still in the air because you know you're so confident that it went in. <laughs> but also... Marquise Noel is dishing the basketball. It wasn't just the behind-the-back pass. He had seven 
seven assists last night. That's awesome. And what was an issue was his turn. You know, maybe he did have a few too many turnovers, but his assists would make up for that. I expect the turnover numbers to be way down. Mm-hmm. He just gave up the ball one time to the to the opposing team. But he, he talks so much on the floor, and that leadership did not start last night. It started in the offseason when Coach Tang was trying to bring 11 guys to this campus and build a team out of it. Marquise Noel was right there by his side with that recruitment process. Whenever guys would come onto campus and he would want to show them a good time and show them what Manhattan, Kansas is all about. Yeah. Number one. But number one, the students showing up. Coach Tang, this team, the coaching staff, they put in a lot of time and effort to build a bond with the, with the student body. And I've mentioned this before where Coach Tang, he knows that that relationship is important. And he had been preaching that wants to bring Bramlage Coliseum back to the Octagon of Doom. I don't think it's been fair to call Bramlage the Octagon of Doom for years. Mm-hmm. Other than one game a year, or if number one Oklahoma is in town, or just for an example of when the place is full and it's going nuts. The student section was full last night. Now, when's the last time we have seen a season opener full? Of course, a lot of hype is around Jerome Tang, but he helped build that hype himself with the recruiting, of course, and who the team who built the team, and also just that engagement, hanging with Tang, showing up at that basketball tournament, giving the student body his phone number. And he mentioned it last night at the post-game press conference and after the game to Jasmine Halliburton on the broadcast for the TV broadcast. You know, the students showed up. Now it's time for the rest of Manhattan yeah. to show up. I'm t- I'll tell you right now, though, Coach Tang, that, uh, you know, it's not exactly KU or, you know, there's, you know, Overland Park is right next door, you know, with all the art and stuff to come over to the games. And it's easy to travel to Lawrence when you got, you know, 30 minutes or whatever. You know, there are fans across the state of Kansas that come to Manhattan, Kansas for games on weekends. During non-con, it might be a tough ask. Honestly, it will. But I'm telling you, you get through non-conference play, I think the conference games, I hope, I wish every game was full, but it just, that just, unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen unless you're the number one team in the country. I think there's a way there, you can understand people being a little, trepidatious about just showing up already bought in i'm telling you you want to be on this train now you want to be on this train if you bought season tickets get your ass to to bring well and i noticed uh, k-state basketball or k-state athletics tweeted this out there's 400 tickets left for the wichita state game which is the same day as the big 12 championship game um yes it is a bit weird um if K-State can get there for football to the Big 12 championship game, I think there might be an option to move the game to that Sunday the next day if the Cats make it to Arlington. But um, I also noticed last night that uh, Cal lost to UC Davis. And that's the next game. But also there's a doubleheader coming up next Thursday with K-State, the men hosting Kansas City at 530. The K-State women will host number 4 Iowa I mean, the way this was scheduled for the K-State women, the, basically the whole non-con was scheduled around Aoka Lee and the potential to have those big games. Um, you know, of course, on Friday, the K-State women play up, I don't know what they call it anymore, but where the Milwaukee Brewers play for the first ever women's basketball game inside of a Major League Baseball stadium cool. against Wisconsin. Um that's awesome. But I will tell you, I do want to add on that. Where the K State women, Jeff Mitty got his 600th career win. 
I mean, the K-State women, the last uh, the last exhibition in this game against the Sugar Bears of Central Arkansas, um, they're playing a lot faster than I thought they would without Aiko Lee. They're scoring points. Yeah. They're, they're hitting some shots. Um, Go check them out, too. Yeah, absolutely. That that doubleheader next week is going to be a lot of fun. Caitlin Clark, who is considered one of the best players in women's basketball, will be visiting along with number 4 Iowa. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to hear from Jalen Pickle and Kobe Savage next. Five three seven thirteen fifty is our number. I'm sure we could take a few phone calls in the second hour, but I wanted to wrap up the first hour hearing from a couple of casts that we got to hear from media-wise at the press conference earlier today after Coach Kleiman said reflected on the loss to Texas 34-27, that final at, Bramlage, or at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The K-State football team falls to 6-3, and three, now 4-2 and two in Big 12 play, tied for second with Texas and Baylor, but Bijan Robinson ran for 209 and a touchdown, seven yards per carry, and also some really easy receiving touchdowns from uh, the Texas wide receivers, including two from Xavier Worthy, who had just 42 yards uh, receiving. But from earlier today, let's hear from defensive lineman Jalen Pickle. The script there at halftime and turn things around in the second half. Uh, we made a lot of adjustments at half. Uh, we weren't fitting a lot of stuff right, and it ultimately it hurt us really bad during the game. But um, the second half, we cleaned it up. Uh, we started fitting the plays right, and we started playing like we usually play. I don't think in your career of beating Baylor yet. I don't think. Is that something that comes to mind? I have, no. Yeah, uh, it does every day. I mean, I, have, I didn't beat Texas either, so, I mean, that kind of hurts, but... Yeah, I haven't beat Baylor, so that's something that we all – I don't think anybody – well, yeah, definitely nobody's here beating Baylor. So, How does Baylor's running attack compare to what you faced last week against Texas? Well, Texas had two really good running backs. Um, I give Baylor's running backs credit, but Texas' running backs were insane. Um, Bijan, he's legit. He's, But um, Baylor just likes to get their running backs on – on edges to where they can run and I mean they're not much of downhill runners but yeah I mean they're a good running team uh they want to run and uh compared to last week I think the running backs just as a committee are decent good running back coach Lyman talked about how how good Baylor is just staying on the field and extending drives how difficult does that make your job on the defensive line um yeah I mean they they're like a from their 30 on, they're a four-down team. I mean, that territory for them is all four-down, and we have to limit their first two plays really to short, minimal gains because if we end up in second and five, then end up in third and two, then they're going to obviously go for it on fourth down. So, I mean, we have to get them kind of backed up and off, off schedule like we always want to, but especially with them wanting to go for it on fourth down all the time. and. If we do end up in that situation where it's fourth and two, fourth and one, we have to get a stop, and it's just what it is. From a player's perspective, what's it like to be in the Big 12 this season where everybody's competitive and every game is hard? Yeah, no, it's uh, – Coach said it best. Um, now I'm blanking what he said. But um, the margin for error is really small. I mean, anybody can beat anybody in the Big 12 right now, and there's a lot of good teams in the Big 12, and I don't think we compare to other conferences really because we have any team that plays can win. I mean, TCU's undefeated, and then last year, I don't know their record last year, but they're undefeated now, and then last year they weren't undefeated. I mean, they were 
whatever they were last year. But yeah, it's it's a crazy conference, you know. And every team you play, you got to be on your p's and q's. Coach mentioned that matchups, because the parity are so important. How do you feel like you guys match up against Baylor? Um, I feel like we match up well, and I mean that's the same with any team we play. I always have confidence in our guys and our whole team, so I think we match up well with what they do and player by player. Jalen, how important is it to kind of regather steam, regather the momentum for three-game push here to the finish line? Yeah, um, we got a lot of older guys, so it's kind of getting tough on us, you know, just having finishing the season. But I think with our maturity, we know we have to get our bodies back, get our mental right, and so we have to – every day is just – a grind and like everybody around the country is doing it so I mean we can't feel sorry for ourselves while we're going through this three game tough grind and that was K-State defensive lineman Jalen Pickle earlier today a lot of discussion about the Baylor Bears and that game taking place down in Waco Texas Saturday that is a six o'clock kickoff and Power K game day will start at two in the afternoon with of course myself but along with Cole Manbeck and Derek Young now I think I can squeeze this in real quick. I wanted to hear from Kobe Savage, who just had a few comments on the game, who us actually made a really amazing tackle on Bijan Robinson to get K-State the ball back with a couple of minutes to go. What did you see on tape from the first half that uh, gives you kind of regrets from Saturday's game? Uh, just missing open field tackles and just different things that we had messed up on, maybe uh, sending a D-line in the wrong way or just uh, messing up in our zone coverage and defense, really. How would you assess your overall performance from the game on Saturday? I feel like it could have been better. I missed a couple of tackles that I probably should have made that were uh, pretty key tackles. Um, it was an okay game for me, but I still feel like we could have done better. How much of a challenge was Bijan Robinson to try and tackle in the open field? Uh, he was a solid back for sure. He reminds me somewhat of the running back from TCU a little bit, just a hard runner. Not nothing like juke-wise, but just a powerful back. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty tough getting him down, but he wasn't too too crazy in the backfield. On your third down stop at the end of the game to give the offense a chance, you kind of you know, got in on that toss. Did you kind of know that was the play even before? Uh, I had a feeling just by the formation, uh, being pro off and gun far, just seeing Bijan look like he was anticipating the ball, looking at the quarterback. But, uh, yeah, I knew it was going to be a run play. I didn't know if it was either going to be stretch or toss into the boundary, but I knew I had some feeling toward it. So, yeah. Did you feel like you almost caught the toss? Uh, I tried to time it up in a certain way, but yeah, I mean, I probably maybe would have had a chance to catch it, but I definitely just want to get on the ground. I think Kobe was too hard on himself. He had eight tackles in the game on Saturday. He made an amazing tackle on Bijan Robinson while being blocked to get K-State the ball back. Um, everybody had missed tackles against Bijan Robinson. Everybody, I was worried about it. Um, We'll see what K-State can do against the rushing attack of Baylor on Saturday. Coming up in hour two, Coach Kleiman press conference highlights. Number one song today, Ask Us Anything, is all coming up right now your local news.